Thank you for joining us uh, for this Halloween special podcast, um, where I'm pleased to be joined by Keith Wade. Is the Brexit nightmare coming to an end? What tricks or treats do central banks have in store for us? Is the US economy heading for a horror show recession in 2020? Or should China's fallen growth spook investors? Or will a truce in trade wars cast a spell over markets? And one year on from when we first released our inescapable truths, is the ominous low return environment we predicted still set to strike fear into investors? Too much Halloween? I'll maybe stop from that there. These are some of the areas I'll be asking Keith about. But before that, a brief wrap up of what's been going on in markets. So government bond yields have managed to drag themselves up from their earlier lows. US, German and UK yields all up around 35 basis points from early September. Still very depressed levels though. Interestingly, yield curves have been steepening in the past few weeks. 10-year yields rising relative to two years. Um, US, UK, German curves now completely flat between the two and the 10-year points. At one point, the US 10-year was 50 basis points lower than the three-month rate, but now they're 17 basis points above them. Reduced recession risk? Inflation risk? Interested to hear Keith's views on what might be going on there. In credit markets, spreads continuing to grind tighter, close to year-to-date tights in investment grades and only a little above them in high yield. Rising oil industrial metal prices also indicative of a stronger economic environment. And with all of that uh, supportive news, equity is actually on pretty good form. US, European, Japanese markets all ended last week at a new year-to-date high. And values ascent in Europe also continues, outperforming growth by almost 3% this month and by 3.5% since the middle of the year. So now, Keith, let's get into our discussion. Start with the US. Martin Arnold put out a note last week entitled, Is the US Heading for Recession in 2020? Well, is it? Right. Um, Well, certainly the markets seem to be having a little bit more of an optimistic view on things than the the Halloween theme that you alluded to at the beginning. So uh, you could say, well, actually, it looks as though the risks of a recession maybe have fallen back quite a lot. So, you know, the yield curve has steepened quite a bit and people were looking very closely at that. I know Martin examined that quite a lot. Uh, but it's not unusual, actually, to see the yield curve steep and after you've seen a few rate cuts. It doesn't mean that you won't necessarily get a recession. Um, so this is more central banks um, acting early to try to prevent a recession, exactly. but actually there may be an inevitability which they can't stop other than to soften. Yeah, exactly. So the, 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 you know, the recession becomes baked in, if you like. It's mm. already in motion. So I wouldn't rule it out. But... Yeah, it has to be said there have been some good bits of news recently. Uh, firstly, on the geopolitical front, um, you know, the US-China relationship, it looks like we are going to get some sort of deal coming through uh, at the weekend. Um, Mnuchin was saying that we're getting close to a deal. So we would expect something to be signed off at the APEC meeting next month between uh, Xi and uh, President Trump. So that's that's been a positive. Um, you've, you've been a little bit sceptical about that, though, in the sense of actually we've been here before. Uh, yes, we we have. Um, but I think it's, it's a question of what kind of a deal is it? And I think it's going to okay. be a very light deal with not an awful lot of, of progress being made. So there will be some purchases announced um, for China buying agricultural products from the US. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a win for Trump in many ways. Uh, in return, Trump is not going to be increasing the tariffs in the way that he said he would. So we'd expect the December tariff increase to be cancelled. Um, 
on the face of it, that doesn't sound like very much. And in many ways, it isn't very much. Um, I'm sure Trump will call it a great deal and brilliant for the for the US. And it probably is brilliant for soybean farmers in the Midwest. But it still doesn't tackle the underlying problem of intellectual property. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there may be one or two announcements on that. China has made one or two changes in its laws. But you know, this idea of an enforcement mechanism, an arbitrage system that could be set up for companies to go to if they have a dispute, I don't think that's really going to happen. Um, so in many ways, China will be able to say, well, you know, we, we've bought some more agricultural products, which we probably had to do anyway, given the, the shortage of pigs in, in China at the moment. And uh, uh, we haven't had to make many major concessions on intellectual property. So I think they'll they'll probably be quite pleased with the deal. So both sides will be able to paint this as a as a win for them effectively um yes. and well, certainly in china's case they've not conceded anything on the the more kind of um controversial topics of intellectual property exactly exactly and i think uh, from there on the the process will probably just go into a kind of limbo because i don't think trump will be making much more progress on it with the presidential election coming up he'll, he'll want to paint himself as a china hawk so he'll keep the threat of tariffs out there. I mean, in many ways, tariffs have been a proven weapon because they have actually made some progress. But um, I think he will continue to sound, you know, quite hawkish against China. But we won't see any more measures, I think, until after the presidential election. OK, I guess whilst we're, well, we're on China, um, there was a, an article which came out, I think yourself and Craig Botham, on the fact that China's growth has fallen to a modern era low. Um, can you just give us a bit more information about what's been driving that and what the, the outlook might be for China? Because it has very wide ramifications for global trade, for the global economy, what happens in China? Yeah, so the the GDP numbers which came out for Q3 were the lowest um, for, for many years. Um, essentially... China has a balancing act. Um, people are looking for China to provide more stimulus. And we are seeing some stimulus coming through from the PBOC. Um, and there's a little bit of stimulus perhaps coming through on the fiscal side. But it's nothing like, you know, the kind of big stimulus that we've seen in the past mm -hmm. when China has been in, in this situation. And clearly it seems to us that although there are these external pressures on China, particularly from the trade wars and the slowdown in global trade, the China's not prepared to re-leverage the economy. I think it's still concerned that if it doesn't continue along the path of trying to actually bring leverage down and sort out the banking system, then there is a risk of a future financial crisis. So it's, a, it's quite a difficult balancing act that they're trying to, to pull off. So we don't see them really igniting growth coming through um, going forward. We don't really see China as being a much of an engine of, of revival in the world economy. Some of this is almost an era of inevitability, though. It's, China would not have been able to continue growing at the same rate it had been over the past two decades, and it is more about the managed reduction in that growth that doesn't happen in too scary a manner. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, I suppose, if they can cushion the slowdown rather than trying to ignite a new um, investment-led boom or anything, that's, that's probably what they're hoping to do. I think that's right. And I think also other things have become important. So actually the environmental uh, theme has become very important for China, the pollution and so on. You know, they're looking to reduce that, improve the quality of life for people. So, so you know, their whole PR 
mantra, if you like, has been about the quality of growth yeah. rather than the quantity. So I think we'll get more focus on that. I mean, as it stands, of course, the, the GDP numbers themselves don't really accurately reflect, we believe, the performance of the economy. We think the economy may be growing more at like sort of 4% than 6% anyway. So we're kind of like discussing a kind of artificial statistic in, in the main thing. But, you know, I, I do see some signs, and I think this is the other point to make actually about the, the markets and what people are looking for at the moment. I do see some signs of stability in the world economy at the moment. Okay. You know, a lot of the, the hit from the trade wars has come through. There could still be some more if we don't get any kind of deal. But if you look at the the PMIs coming out of China, uh, PMIs in the US um, that came out last week, the flash PMIs, do suggest a little bit of stability coming through and export orders beginning to stabilize as well. So I think markets are sort of sensing a bit of a, a, a bottoming out in, in this recent downturn. So the manufacturing sector, which is under pressure, is beginning to sort of clear its inventory, beginning to get itself in line for a bit of stability going forward. I guess I suppose in the, the, when bond yields touched their lows earlier in the year, there was a lot of pessimism and negativity and perhaps that had just been overdone and actually this is just um, where we were always it's just that it wasn't necessarily um, investors being a bit over pessimistic earlier. Yeah I mean some of the indicators that we've been looking at on the asset allocation side suggested that markets were getting a little bit too pessimistic and had probably moved ahead of you know say where the PMIs were and so on beginning to price in a recession which I mean we've always said in, in terms of this this whole recession debate there aren't the imbalances in the US economy that you would normally look for to to be able to trigger a recession because it's the adjustment of these imbalances that usually creates a recession. So, you know, many many times it's been inflation, um, you know, an imbalance in the goods market, excess demand or so on. The Fed has to tighten to, to slow down growth. Or, of course, in the last crisis, it was the financial sector, which, you know, had run up this extraordinary balance sheet that was completely unsustainable. You know, but we don't we don't see that as being the problem. There are there, there are some issues perhaps in the corporate sector where leverage is quite high. Yeah. But, you know, in, in some ways it becomes chicken and egg. What is going to cause the corporate sector to do a major retrenchment? Um, you know, certainly if you did get a recession, you can say, well, the corporate sector is going to be in trouble. But is the corporate sector actually going to be the one that drives it in the first place? You know, it's difficult to see what the catalyst would be for that, particularly with the Fed easing policy. Yeah, because I guess even though the stock of debt held by the corporate sector has gone up considerably and relative to GDP as well in mm. terms of the interest cost that they're paying on that, that because rates are so low, there probably hasn't been anywhere near as much of a move in the um, the cash flow implications of that rise in the stock. So yeah, I think I, you're right, it probably does mean more. If earnings fail, interest cover would clearly be a problem. Mm. But so long as earnings don't fall and a recession is averted, then they might be able to kind of muddle through. Well, the, the threat to that, of course, is that you've got, um, you probably will see some fall in earnings coming up. And that's that's the concern. Okay, We're just updating our, our profits numbers at the moment. And we are looking still, I mean, we have had this forecast for a while for a decline of about 4% in earnings next year. So it's not a it's not a complete collapse. I mean, it's nothing like what we saw in 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 a genuine recession, where you know you could see earnings fall by twenty or thirty percent. So there will be some pressure there, and and that's 
that means that the corporate sector will be under pressure to maintain productivity and try and maintain margins in quite a difficult environment, which is why we're forecasting quite a weak year of growth. You know, but we think that can be contained um, with growth coming down to sort of one and a half percent next year. It is quite weak, but it isn't really an outright collapse in the economy where the corporate sector has to sort of lay off many people. And you see non-farm payrolls, for example, turning negative. Okay, so I guess first question, is the US heading for a recession in 2020? It sounds like you're, that's that's not something that you are um, as concerned about. It's still um, not the forecast. I mean, I, I still come back to this idea that the US and the world economy more generally is, is a bit of a wobbly bike. So yeah. you're familiar with our scenario analysis, you know, and many of those kind of shocks that could hit the system. So, for example, if... If we don't get the trade deal at the APEC meeting and Trump says, oh, no, we're going to be putting these tariffs on later on in December and we're going to increase tariffs more, then I think, you know, that probably would be sufficient to to, to cause a, a recession. Okay. Um, so not baseline, but obviously can't be ignored as a risk. So no. against that backdrop, the Fed is meeting this week. Mm. Um, I guess expectations are fully on board that they are going to um, cut rates again. So anything other than that would definitely have a negative reaction but what what should we be looking for in the in the the speeches and the minutes to the meetings that will give more of a guide yeah so the the really important thing here is going to be the press conference and what Powell says in terms of the hurdles to further easing mm-hmm. um you know what is it that he'll be looking for um you know is he going to say right we've eased policy you know three times that's enough for now. I want to monitor the data and kind of try and kick out another rate move. I think if he does that, then the markets would probably react quite badly because they would be looking for another rate cut in December, okay. uh, which I think he probably could deliver because inflation isn't a problem. So, you know, he could probably do another one then. But, you know, the rate cuts have been coming through a little bit faster perhaps than we expected. We thought they would probably pause at this meeting. But if we get a rate cut in October, we'll probably think they're going December and maybe again early next year. And then they would probably pause, having put in quite a bit of easing. And it is probably worth noting, and I think the Fed will probably note this as well, the uh, monetary transmission mechanism is functioning. It is coming through in terms of the housing market. You've seen a fall in mortgage rates and you've seen a rise in mortgage applications. And we're actually seeing some quite robust uh, housing numbers coming through. So that's a typical sign that monetary policy is beginning to work. And we, you know, we in our, our conversations with fund managers, and particularly in the asset allocation, we've been saying, look, we recognise the weakness of manufacturing, but you've got to balance that against some of the signs of housing beginning to revive. I think that's the kind of thing that Powell may focus on in his press conference. Okay. Um, and looking a bit closer to home for you now, we can't really have this chat without mentioning the kind of horrible Brexit situation, I guess. For recap, for anyone who's not been um, as painfully familiar with it as as we are in, here in the UK, Boris Johnson's withdrawal agreement bill was agreed by the EU. It was agreed by Parliament, but actually they rejected his timeline to try to get it voted through. Um, he then sent three letters to the, the EU, one asking for an extension to um, Brexit, and then two basically saying, please disregard everything I wrote in the previous letter. If you agree to a long extension, it will be disastrous. Um, a bit of a pantomime. Um, latest news today, it appears that there will be a general election 
um, occurring in the UK um, on or around the 11th of December. There's some debate between the 9th, the 11th and the 12th, but it might be it's going to be around then. What does this mean for the UK economy, Sterling, this uncertainty or the Brexit process? Is, is, is this genuine light at the end of the tunnel or is this actually just another stage of the drama we've seen playing out for, for years? It, it does feel a bit like light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, when we were talking about the reduction in geopolitical risk around the world, I would probably add in the, you know, the UK-EU Brexit negotiations that, you know, have gone better than I think markets were expecting. Yeah. Um, so it, does, it does look like we're going to have some form of deal now and no deals appears a lot less of a prospect. Yeah, th- th- that's the key thing. The, the no deal tail risk has kind of been kicked into the long grass and that's that's you know not going to happen. And of course, all this shenanigans over the election have really been about trying to make sure there's a guarantee that uh, Johnson doesn't go back on his word. Um, the the next hurdle, of course, then it sounds like is going to be a general election um, and, and Johnson needs to win that to see his deal through because if he doesn't, then, you know, a Labour liberal est- uh, uh, Scottish Nationalist uh, SNP alliance might demand a second referendum. Because Boris Johnson's his view here is I want to win the general election with a strong enough majority that I will actually be able to do business in Parliament, whereas at the moment he is unable to do that because of the, he doesn't have a strong enough yeah, hand. absolutely. And actually, the opinion poll suggests that, you know, he, he probably could just squeak a majority. Um, it, it, it has been something that, as Adzangana has highlighted, in that um, when they take the opinion polls, if uh, Boris Johnson has been able to deliver a deal, that is seen as very supportive to the Conservative vote. So, you know, what we would expect is to probably see the opinion polls move a bit more in favour of the Conservatives over the next couple of weeks or so or in the in the election campaigning time and then he would be able to get some sort of majority and then he would get his deal through. Um, the, 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 there are several unknowns to this. One, of course, is that Jeremy Corbyn is a good campaigner uh, and he may be able to improve the share of Labour, um, what he did last time, although a lot of water's flowed under the bridge mm. since then and I think his, his credibility even within the Labour Party has probably been somewhat reduced. So... You know, it looks as though um, uh, Johnson may well be able to go to that election and increase his majority, which would enable him to to move forward. I think the really important point, though, is even if he does move forward, we are going to be entering a transition period. There is a um, some talk that if um, they haven't done a trade deal by the end of 2020, then they should have a, a no-deal Brexit, which is uh, completely crazy. Um, trade deals take more than a year. Even if you're, you're trying to do a trade deal with an existing trade partner, um, I think we're looking at two, probably three or even four years to get a, a, a proper trade deal done between the UK and the EU. So um, you know, there okay, is going to so be quite a, a considerable transition period that we're moving into. I would say that our forecast does assume, has always assumed some sort of deal. This has been, you know, rather tentative. But as that begins to come through, it doesn't look like we'd have to make big changes to our to our forecasts uh, for growth, uh, we will get a little bit of a lift to growth, I think, from this. But then, once the trade talks start and you go through the whole negotiating process again, the uncertainty will return yeah. and the economy will will begin to struggle again. Okay. Okay, um, thank you very much, Keith, for joining me today. So rather than a kind of Halloween horror show, it sounds like actually um, a bit more positive on the on the economic outlook. Um, 
economic things are looking better on the economic front. We may also get um, expecting some additional support from the Federal Reserve this week, but we should pay attention to what's in the statements and light at the end of this tunnel for Brexit, but still a long, hard slog ahead. Thank you very much for joining me, Keith, and thank you very much, everyone, for listening.